Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to episode 34 of Conquering Columbus. we got a really great episode laid out for you today. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you all, go ahead and check out whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. And right next to our names, you'll see a subscribe button. If you go ahead and hit that for me, we'd really appreciate it. Make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus, and it really helps us out. Uh, today, we're lucky enough to have Reed Woodard. Uh, he's the director of operations over at Corso Ventures, and they're the guys behind uh, some of the cool places around uh, Short North, like Pint House, Forno, and Standard Hall. And uh, If you guys want to check out their stuff, Standard Hall is actually doing uh, brunch now. So if you've got some time Saturday or Sunday morning, and you're feeling in the mood for some mimosas and good food, head on over to Standard Hall. And finally, we also want to take one last minute of your time to give a big shout out and thank you to all of our incredible sponsors here on the show. These are the guys that keep the episodes coming and allow us to keep creating great content for you all to listen to on a weekly basis. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH and all the cool things they do, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. We'd also like to give a big shout out to our friends over at MakeShark. MakeShark is a friendly, experienced, and local team of web design and SEO professionals that will help you get better design, functionality, and ROI for your websites at a really low cost. If you want to learn more about MakeShark, check out MakeShark.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Our final shout out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling. And they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, let's get this episode rolling. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 34 of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Reed Wizard, and I'm going to kick it over to Josh for a quick intro to Reed. Hey guys, Reed is the Director of Operations of Corso Ventures, the company behind many of Columbus's best bars and restaurants, including Short North, Pint House, Forno, and Standard Hall. Before becoming Director of Operations for Corso Ventures, Reed was a manager at Park Street Cantina. Welcome to the show, Reed. Thanks guys for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here today. Kicking uh, things off in Reed's living room. First person let us in his house before. Right, so it's, it's a big step. <laughs> 
Welcome over, guys. So let's let's kind of start things off. What I'm interested in before we jump back and we we figure out how it all got started. What's your typical day in your life like today with everything that you guys have going on? So kind of paint the picture for us of what the business looks like, the operations, what your role is within it. Sure. So uh, I actually talked about this with my management team this afternoon. And I talked about how if you focus on the day-to-day in the restaurant business, you actually get pretty bogged down because there's so much happening uh, day-to-day. So rather than day-to-day, I really look at my job from week to week. And it's kind of like, you know, Monday, we're getting putting Humpty Dumpty back together from the busy weekend, um, doing building inspections, find out if anything needs fixed. Uh, Tuesday, we meet up as a corporate team, uh, our finance guy. We have an independent consultant, Chuck Ashton, who works with our kitchens pretty closely, corporate chef, all my general managers and my director of marketing. We all sit down every Tuesday, hash things out from the week. Uh, and then Wednesday, I sit down at each at each location with the whole management team, all the chefs, all the supervisors, all the managers, and we really get the week planned and package anything for general consumption. And we kind of move on with uh, you know Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is where we could typically do you know 70, 80, upward of 90% of our business in that three-day stretch. So you know typically. The beginning part of the week is just getting amped up to do that all over again. Right. So you mentioned building inspections. How often, you know, I mean, we are in a college town. Yep. <laughs> um, how often you guys have things that you need repaired immediately uh, where people... Have every, been... every week. Yeah. Our, our building, you know, they're huge venues and we pack right. them out. So, you know, things can happen. Anything from a urinal being snapped off the wall uh, to furniture being fixed. Uh, right. it, it all can happen. But uh, we understand that they're entertainment venues mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, where they're trying to show people a good time. Some people have a better time than others, or <laughs> it depends on who you ask, I guess. But uh, you know, every Monday, I typically start my Monday with a full building inspection of every venue from, you know, the front corner to the very back corner of every basement. Uh, I leave a list for my managers of anything that needs to be fixed or contact our maintenance guys, uh, get things cleaned up and looking pretty again. So so casual about it. he's like letting these urinals being snapped off yeah, and, and you're like you're like but, but for real quit snapping the damn urinals like, like it would please. be nice but we have the, we have the heavy mugs at pint house so i'm mm-hmm. not sure if they're dropping the heavy mug in the urinal or having a wrestling <laughs> match in there it could be just about anything so what are some of the wildest things is urinal the craziest thing you've come across as broken or has there been anything that's like what in the world How does uh, that well, we have the photo booth at pint house mm-hmm. i think most people are familiar with and uh, we've gone through the photos of the photo booth, and I, I think <laughs> you know that's the most documentable crazy stuff that you'll see. I've seen someone take a full-on shower in the beer fountain right behind the photo booth um, to you know full-on nudity at the pint house. So you know, anything could happen. Jeez, we so <laughs> and attendance skyrockets. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. For the most part, they're they're family venues. It just you know sometimes after dark. People can't help themselves. So, <laughs> so kind of take it from there, from the uh, full-on uh, after-dark hours. Let's kick it back to kind of the beginning, how things got sure. started, and kind of maybe even talk about, we can go as far back as early high school kind of days and just talk about what kind of led you to where you are today. Sure. I, uh, my, so my dad's an entrepreneur. Uh, he owns several companies in my hometown, uh, everything from a real estate company to a chain of car washes, um, and 
I kind of went through life just thinking that that's what I was going to do, take over the family business. And where's the hometown? Mansfield, Ohio, okay. which is just about an hour north of Columbus. So okay. uh, most of my dad's stuff is in Lexington, just a small suburb um, of Mansfield. But um, I'm just watching my dad um, as a young as a young man, you know, get real estate deals. You know, when I was 12 years old, my dad bought a 360-acre farm for just under $300,000 in my hometown and uh, he really turned that into a launching pad for some of his other companies it was really really cool to see some of the things that he did um, from taking the, the dirt from the first few basements that uh, that were dug there and starting a topsoil and excavating company <laughs> I mean just some crazy entrepreneurial type things that um, it can really show a, a young guy that really anything is possible um, so from there um, some family friends of ours uh, owned a restaurant downtown Columbus and I was helping out there um, on the nights I was working for my dad's real estate company during the day and I just started to fall in love with um, I don't know just being around people in that setting um, where they're out to have a good time and you know you're the one kind of showing them the good time I just really liked being a part of that and the guy that I worked for the chef owner there uh, his name was Chuck Brandt he did his externship at La Cirque in New York City, which is one of the top regarded restaurants in the world. Um, so I really had a unique opportunity to learn about food and wine and just restaurants in general from a guy that has literally been at the top. What age were you at that point? Uh, I was about 20, 21, something like that. And um, I was lucky enough, just I had some management experience. When I, when I first, my first uh, restaurant job ever was for Bob Evans and Graceland here in Columbus while I was going to school at Columbus State. Um, a couple of my roommates worked there and I got a job as a server. Um, very quickly got promoted. They would send me around to different stores uh, to train new servers and managers. So um, I guess you could say I was good at it from the beginning. I don't know. Um, and then I just fell in love with that at a very young age too. So. Okay, so and then from Bob Evans you know, to <clears throat> graduating college, what was kind of some of your first roles? Well, outside? actually, I never graduated college. Ah. <laughs> uh, after my second year of college, uh, I was studying business. You know, I always planned to take over our company business. My dad mm -hmm. actually offered me a job as a project manager for the company real estate company, um, and I was uh, I felt like it was kind of a dumb move not to take it at that point. Uh, you know, I got a six figure expense account, right. <laughs> uh, co company car. Uh, credit card and, and a job um, with potential of making a lot of money in an industry I already saw myself being in. So kind of a no-brainer for me at that point, but uh, a couple projects and a couple years in, it wasn't really for me. So decided to pack my bags and move all the way down under. <laughs> what kind of real estate was it, like development projects or like? Uh, and my dad did a lot of stuff uh, from developing land to residential and um, I basically would go to sheriff sales and uh, buy homes that were being repossessed and then revamp them and uh, run a construction team and sell them on the market or rent them. So your whole life's kind of been geared up just towards managing people and projects. Right? Absolutely. From a very yeah. young age. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's time to get to work, basically. I, I spent my summers working with my dad from a, from a young age. He was built, either building a house, working on a house, or building a car wash or you know something like that. So I was always around you know projects happening and things getting done <laughs> mm -hmm. so you decide you want to get away after those two years you know this isn't for me 
What made you choose New Zealand of all places? Uh, New Zealand is one of the only places in the world that you can get an extended working holiday visa, meaning that you can legally work there while you're basically on vacation, <laughs> uh, which is something that I needed because I didn't have a ton of money. I was only 19, 20, I think I would have been 22 when I moved to New Zealand. Um, so, uh, you know, I needed to work and I knew that. I sold my car for about $3,500 um, and I bought a one-way ticket, packed my suitcase, and I figured I could probably find a job when I showed up. So, I uh, <laughs> went for it. Yeah. Uh, I had a, had a, some uh, some fun jobs in New Zealand, I had some weird ones. Um, I worked in a vineyard pruning vines, which I thought sounded... Um, interesting right and uh, I wanted to tell my friends I worked in a winery or a vineyard I come to find out it's some of the most grueling immigrant work that you can possibly do (laughs) it's like 15 cents a vine and it takes probably three minutes per vine and we're talking thousands of thousands of vines to get a couple you know a couple bucks or whatever not not mathematicians (laughs) but I don't think it's (laughs) far from the real estate business not expense account six-figure expense account no, you talk about live uncomfortably and your, you know, your slogan for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was definitely some of my most uncomfortable moments. Right. Uh, you know, in a van going to a winery to prune some vines. So from the point you stepped off the plane, did you have it like mapped out on where you're going to stay? Like, was this oh, all Oh, no, all no plan. Oh, totally off the cuff. I was with yeah, my best friend. That's how you should go to New Zealand. Uh, my, my best. <laughs> <laughs> Congress Actually, no, terrible recommend. idea. We ran out of money very, very quickly. Uh, we were used to the finer things in life. So actually, it was my, my best friend, Adam Beveridge. He works for his dad's uh, finance firm in Mansfield. And we both decided, hey, man, we're 22. Let's go live our lives elsewhere for a little while. Um, and like I said, you know, we were we were going out to dinner. We went to uh, you know a professional rugby game. The second night we were there, got like front row seats. Uh, Thirty five hundred dollars turned to zero pretty quickly, and the vines just could not keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys recover from that? I think that's a cool story for a lot of our listeners. I think a lot of them are at a point where they're young professionals, but they've thought about just kind of doing that off the cuff. Like, hey, I'm only going to have this one chance before I get a family. Like, so how did you kind of run with it and then make things work once you got down there? I mean, you. Spent thirty four hundred at the rugby games. <laughs> left with a hundred bucks. bucks. We got a bus ticket. Uh, we actually asked around. You know, we, we arrived in Auckland, which is basically it's the cap. It's not the capital, but it's like the capital of New Zealand. It's the capital of the North Island, pretty much, and uh, it, it, it's pretty uh, comparable to any other large city in the United States. And that's not really what I was looking for. So we moved to a little beach town called Napier. Uh, I think it's population of thirty to forty thousand people right on the beach called Cape Kidnappers, um, beautiful setting. Um, and we decided that we had to find a job at that point. So, um, I started looking for a job in the restaurant business because I knew that that would probably be the easiest, you know, industry for me to get a job in. I had a little bit of, uh, little bit of experience and a good enough personality and I'm hardworking enough that I thought somebody would hire me to do something in a restaurant. <laughs> um, so I responded to a management um, ad on the internet, and I met this guy named Tony McEwen, who was an ex-professional rugby player in New Zealand, and he bought um, into a franchise, which is called the Spates Ale House. It's owned by the largest uh, brewery in New Zealand. And he basically bought the franchise because Spates 
uh, Brewer used to sponsor his old rugby team he played for. He had no, nothing to do with the restaurant business, had no experience whatsoever, had no idea what to do with himself. Uh, but then he found me sitting in his office. Well, at this point, you were almost a sponsor. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, um, yeah, we sat down and it started with an interview and ended up turning into an hour and a half, two hour discussion about the restaurant business and how I could help him. And um, he hired me. So I felt like he was my savior at that point. I, I could have a paycheck coming in now. I might survive in New Zealand without <laughs> having to ask for help. Without having to prune any vines. Exactly. <laughs> So then going from there, how long did you stay there? What was your entire duration in New Zealand? Um, I was there for about a year. Okay. Uh, my, my visa was for a year, so it was either you know apply for a three-year uh, work-to-reside visa is what they call it, where they grant you dual citizenship at the end of your three-year stint. You have to pump X amount of tax dollars back into their economy to get approved uh, for the three-year visa. But uh, I'm kind of a competitive guy, and there's only four million people in New Zealand, and I had spent a year and got myself got myself worked into a pretty good position. I met some crazy people in the industry. Um, I got invited to go live with a guy named Jeremy Ramica, who won Chef of the Year in New Zealand several times, and his wife was a uh, uh, sommelier from California. Um, and then I also uh, got invited to have dinner at the embassy, the U.S. embassy, and the U.S. ambassador at that time was Bill McCormick, the owner and CEO of all the McCormick and Schmick restaurants in the world. Um, and that, you know, some of these opportunities that popped up, it just made it seem surreal to me that, right. that it was happening. And, you know, there's that, that uh, phrase that when the, when the universe opens itself up to you, it's up to you to recognize it and answer the call. And I just felt like it was kind of my duty at that point that since all these people were coming out of the woodwork from the restaurant industry and they were great people, I just knew that that was kind of going to be my calling. So there so, I went. Do you think there's anything unique, like just meeting you right now, I think that you probably have a really open personality where you probably make friends really easy. Do you think there's anything in particular about you that really like made those doors open up or is it just that you were always down for, you know, uh, just like exploring new things or? I guess, yeah, and put yourself in, in the environment that, that you want to be in and I wanted to meet people and try new things. So I, I guess I, w I opened myself up to that naturally and you, know, you can say right place, right time, whatever, but... I really think if you just follow, you know, your, your, your heart, as cheesy as that sounds, <laughs> um, you know, I knew I didn't want to be where, where I was. Um, so I took a leap of faith and ended up turning into, you know, something extraordinary. So I guess that's all I, I can really boil it down to is, you know, listen to yourself. And if you're uncomfortable, then you are the master of your own destiny. <laughs> yeah. So let's dive into the return from New Zealand. Sure. Then. So what point did you decide, Hey, you know, I've been here long enough. Is your you mean was it the I don't want to apply for a three year visa I mean yeah and I was ready I was just ready to get back to work mm -hmm. um, I knew you know I had some friends back home that were really you know digging in deep to their careers and I knew that you know it was a good opportunity opportunity for me to get out of my comfort zone and meet some new people and you know see a different perspective but I also knew that the time was ticking and you know I gotta start saving for retirement eventually can't be screwing off in New Zealand for too long so you know eventually it was time to get back to work and uh you know I, was I, the grind there pretty intense or were you having a lot of fun at the same time or was oh no the grind got pretty intense okay. <laughs> uh you know I like I said I had several different jobs I, I had jobs just to, when I passed through certain towns for a week just to get a little bit of money to move to the next lodge or backpackers or hostel whatever you want to call it so 
Um, no, I mean, we got, we got to travel and go to the beach quite a bit too. You know, it was a soul seeking, you know, beach going, <laughs> right. uh, not so much of a money making venture. <laughs> um, it was a great, great time though. Best experience of my life and wouldn't trade it in for anything. Not even a college degree. That's a statement and a half right there, but let's dive into, uh, so when you came back to the States, uh, did you, is that when kind of, uh, you met up with Chris? No, actually, I uh, <clears throat> I started looking for management positions in Cleveland and Columbus. I didn't know which city I wanted to be in, but I knew I did not want to be in Mansfield, Ohio. <laughs> did not want to go back home. Call me the prodigal son, but not going back to Mansfield. Um, I wanted to do bigger things. So um, I started applying at uh, any management position open. I just wanted to start building my resume and show that I could do the job. Um, so... I was recruited pretty heavily by the Hyde Park group out of Cleveland. Um, went through four interviews with that group. Um, and on my way back from my fourth interview, I, the, the guy that was recruiting me called to set up my fifth interview. Um, and I just told him, you know what, man, if you don't know that you like me by now, I'm sorry. I'm just going to you know, probably settle somewhere else. Um, didn't want to do anything that corporate in my life ever. Right. <laughs> um, and then I got offered... Um, a GM position actually at a fine dining restaurant in downtown Columbus called Cotter's uh, for $32,000 a year. Uh, I think I worked probably 80 hours a week, um, but it was a GM position. And I guess fake it till you make it. I wanted to show that, that I could do the job and I wanted to be the top guy. So um, I took the position and I started sleeping on my buddy's couch over on Thurber and walked to work every day. Um, borrowed a couple suits from a buddy of mine and I looked apart right <laughs> and there we went <laughs> and how things evolved from there you stayed there for how long uh, about two years or so um I actually you know we I think later on we're going to talk about some other events that I've done in Columbus but uh my first major event I ever did in Columbus was the Iron Bartender um and it, this went on for a few years and actually popped off it was it was pretty big um, I would have four or five different bartenders from all around the city competing in like an Iron Chef type setting. Um, I think the first year we sold like 500 and something tickets at 20 bucks a pop. And here I am working my 32 grand a year right. in position. I'm like, man, I might be able to do something a little different, you know, in, in Columbus. And, you know, you ask about, you know, right place, right time or how these opportunities pop up. And um, I don't know, maybe it's just a will to do something bigger than just have a job or something bigger than yourself. Um, I think that's kind of what it was, but I wanted to do, I wanted to, I wanted to prove that the downtown area that I was in was still a viable area and it was fun and we could throw events down there. Um, but I also just wanted to make a name for myself. So that was a big motivator. Yeah. I think a lot of it stems from, I mean, if you had just done your job, the, none of those events would have happened. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you go above and beyond and you choose, you know, to push yourself past, hey, I don't want to be just doing my job. I got to do more. Yeah. Right? So I think that's pretty cool uh, concept. So when does uh, so, uh, the connection yeah, with Chris so, yeah, come on? So uh, Dave Cotter um, is, is no longer a Cotter. It hasn't been for many years. Um, it, it's now Tim Hortons, I believe. But, you know, he let me know that he wasn't going to be keep the restaurant open any longer. And, um he, in that exit interview, when he was telling me he couldn't pay the bills anymore and we were going to move on, uh, he actually mentioned Chris Corso's name to me. The first time I, I had ever heard it, he said, you know, even Chris Corso would kill it together. You should go meet him and you know see if you guys can work together a little bit. Um, and such a prophetic statement, you know, yeah. several years ago, 
Um, but uh, I was actually recruited by Chris Corso's director of marketing um, because they had heard about my Iron Bartender events and they knew that I brought a lot of people down to that restaurant. So um, he texted me one day after he heard that I got let go from that restaurant and um, asked me if I was available for an interview. And I told him I had just left the gym and I was at North Market and I could come back in a couple hours. And he said, I don't care what you look like, just come over here and talk to me. So. I remember that day like it was yesterday, pretty much. <laughs> so you went over there, you had a pump going, and you just went in right <laughs> place, right? just straight. Yeah, yeah, Well, actually, Chris was sitting on, I don't know if you guys have been to Cantina in a while, but uh, Chris Corso, he developed the whole nightlife in Columbus from the ground up. He, he opened the very first nightclub in Columbus, Fabric. Um, he's going Red Zone, uh, Spice. A lot of people forget about Spice. <laughs> you know, I thought that was one of the classiest joints in Columbus, especially when I had just moved back. I hadn't seen anything like that in Columbus before, and, just a beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, the, the crowd was beautiful. The venue was beautiful. Right. Um, but uh, he's sitting there on a saddle. I, they have the saddle chairs uh, at Cantina. And I walked in. He was like, I hear that you're the customer service master. Um, and I said, yes, I am. And he's like, good, I could use some help. So uh, he basically offered me the, the job on the spot um, just to come in and check out his spots. That's all he wanted me to do was come in and see if I thought it was a good fit. And give him some feedback um, and he gave me the job as a general manager of the social room which was a members only nightclub down on Park Street still there I don't think they're members only anymore though right. <laughs> so your big niche was kind of customer service is that really kind of where you felt like you made you shine the most in the uh, yeah I guess so I, I really like the showtime aspect of anything so um, you know in my eyes, you have to be good at customer service to work in a restaurant anyway. Right. Um, but if I can kind of, you know, take your skills and, you know, the ambiance and everything that happens in a restaurant and turn it into that, you know, almost that showtime kind of a moment for people that are out to have a good time, that's what I'm really looking for. So I guess I've always been that motivator that pushes people to go beyond customer service and, you know, show people just a great night out and great experience. So kind of maybe to dive a little bit deeper in that too, how has always been your approach to handling difficult situations within the environment when you're managing people and like when something comes up, how do you approach, you know, something negative and turn it into a positive, I guess? Well, actually our uh, company motto at Corso Ventures is nothing but positive. <laughs> and I think it's because you know, we've got 220 employees right now um, and, you know, we're in the bar business and... You know, unfortunately, some negative things can happen when you have that many people working in, a, in, in an environment together. And then you also add in the alcohol factor. And there's just a lot of things that could potentially happen that are negative. But at the root of everything we're doing is something very positive. We're trying to serve great drinks and great food to people that are coming out to have a great time. So there is nothing negative about that scenario right there so we just have to be able to you know be professional and use our skills um, and you know make the customer service aspect of things second nature um, so that we can just go into you know how can I make everybody here have a better time mm -hmm. and this time you were working with uh, Park Street Complex and Cantina correct yeah yeah and that, that was uh, Chris Corso's uh, mm -hmm. previous company right exactly and so how long were you guys there working on uh, working with Chris on that project? <clears throat> I ran every bar on Park Street pretty much. I started at Social Room. Mm -hmm. After three months, he promoted me to the general manager of the entire Park Street complex, which right. wasn't even a thing yet. He actually brought me in his office and said, 
I want to see how we can turn these three huge bars into one huge entertainment complex, uh, which was a huge, exciting challenge for me. I thought, once again, here I am, you know, getting into a situation where I have an unbelievable opportunity in front of myself. Mm -hmm. um, that was the most money I've ever made in my life at that point. Um, you know, a huge challenge in front of me. I had hundreds of employees. Um, and I had just come from a small little fine dining restaurant, you know, making 32 grand a year, you know, just on the corner nationwide arena. Um, so, you know, I ran the, the Park Street Complex. We turned that thing out. And I think it's still Park Street Complex to this day. Yeah. I think they pretty much operate pretty close to how we do, except for they use Saloon as a music venue now. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't really do a whole lot with the music other than just a little bit on the entertainment side. So, um, but I think they're bringing in pretty big acts now down there. Um, what were some of the moves that helped you turn that into a complex? Like, so when he told told you that, what were some of you guys' steps moving forward that really were well, the game changers? Uh, some of the challenges were a: how do we get um, the the guests or the customers from each venue to hop around and enjoy each venue, not just stay put in one? How do we you know, make it a easier for them to move around between the three venues, and b just want to leave one venue to go to the next? Um, so it was all about timing from happy hours to maybe a later happy hour at another spot, do an open bar or a party in another area. Um, just have a lot of different things going on within the three different venues, um, timed strategically, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And then also um, a lot of bartenders in a, in a large setting share tip money. And that was a, a huge concern of ours. How do we keep you know, 10, 15 bartenders from each location happy sharing money with each location, not knowing how hard every bartender from each location is working to share that money. And, um, and it was just a lot of working internally and closely with the staff, um, you know, being a cheerleader for them, letting them, know, letting them know that we're pushing, you know, just as hard for them as we are the other group. And, um, how'd you guys solve that problem? The bartender issue? I don't really remember <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you, but I, I just know that we worked out several different tip systems and did different calculations and, really try to find out how our, how our tip money was coming in and the timing of it so we could schedule people appropriately and um, you know, just get into the analytics and figure it out. Right. In your defense, it wasn't in the outline, so it was a wild card. Right. <laughs> wild card we didn't have that one on the end. Well, it was also <laughs> eight years ago. Right. <laughs> so from, from the complex in Cantina, uh, you know, kind of Corso Ventures, the company, the current company, was kind of born out of that complex? Yeah, actually, uh, Chris came up to me at Cantina one day and just said, hey, I'm um, thinking about selling, um, you know, this company. I'm, I want to start a new company with you, and I want to tell you about a concept I'm thinking about building in the short north, and you know, let's have a discussion about it. So I think we met up later that week, and he showed me the original logo for the pint house, which I don't think we, I don't think we, I don't even think it was named the pint house. I think it was the beer garden was spelled in the German way. And, um, it was really just, you know, discussions with Chris and getting more involved in the short North to where, you know, we didn't want it to be a German beer garden. We wanted it to be a short North mm -hmm. beer garden and uh, make it a trendy, really fun spot, um, beautiful venue and add some things that, you know, whether it was your first time there or whether it's your favorite bar, you can still love aspects <laughs> of that venue, whether it's, you know, the ice rail at the front bar, you can put your drink on and keep it icy or the open roof uh, or the glowing green walls or, you know, there's a lot of things that people love about the Pine House. So um, that was a lot of fun building that. So it wasn't the short north that we see today though, right? I mean, assuming it's probably a lot different. Oh yeah, pretty much everything's different. <laughs> um, Except I mean, the Pine House. 
<laughs> well, we're looking to go long into the future. Um, yeah. We signed a long lease there, and you know we're putting a lot of money into the the venues that we're building now. And you know, in the nightclub game, you know you can spend a hundred grand and make it look like a million bucks when you turn the lights off. Right. <laughs> uh, in the restaurant game, you know you really have to spend the money. Um, you know, to to take a venue into the future, and uh, just to keep a nice crowd in there, and to really wow out of towners when they come into your spot. And I think that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make people that travel when they come into our spots. We wanted to make them, you know, there's no drop off from the bars in L.A. or Chicago or New mm-hmm. York to the ones in Columbus. And I just got back from a trip actually, and Saturday night I got back, and I could not wait to get down to my bars and check them out. And I walk into Standard Hall, and it is the most beautiful crowd. It's a beautiful night in January. We had the garage doors open. We're serving people on the outside windows. The music was perfect. The atmosphere is great. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, we are, we are building world-class bars here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels great. It feels great to be a part of that. Um, what else are we talking about? So <laughs> let's, take it, let's take it from. So you guys start Corso Ventures. You find out the first was the part first. of that and then how do we evolve from there uh well uh chris is you know now into his 40s chris corso um he's the he's the owner of our company he's the founder um not only of our company but you know columbus nightlife in general um but he had a long stint in the bar club business um and he has you know kids now uh they're in school and you know most of his friends are a little bit older you know i'm into my 30s now and even my friends, you know, didn't want to go down to Park Street anymore. So, and even more so, even um, to Pint House, even it was a little bit too young for some of Chris's friends. Even so, we knew that we had to make a place that not only we want to hang out at to go to go out to dinner or have some cocktails, but a place that you know Chris's friends would want to hang out at. We know there's a an older crowd in Columbus from that 25 to 50 range mm-hmm. that just loves to go out still they love to go to restaurants and bars and they travel a lot still um, so again it wasn't just for the out-of-towners it was for those folks I wanted we wanted them to feel like they had world-class places to go you know relax and have a good time definitely and so is that is that kind of where Forno came in yeah and um, not just you know building somewhere that those people wanted to hang out but we also saw in the market a huge gap between right. you know some of the more casual places like pint house and then you have the hyde parks and you know even things that cameron mitchell is doing that we think you know there's still a gap in between where people don't necessarily want to go to dinner for two hours and mm-hmm. sit down and you know i don't know it's right it could, could become a little stuffy at times um you know there there is a huge crowd that wants to go out and rub elbows and check out mm-hmm. the beautiful scene and you know um be in a high energy location, spend a little bit of money and you know, just have a good time. Enjoy the fruits of all of our labor. Definitely. So, so one kind of question I have is being in a college town, Ohio State campus, I mean, you got 60,000 students sitting right there. Is it ever like a fight to where you're trying to, I mean, we, like you said with Forno, I mean, the younger crowd, are you fighting the younger crowd sometimes at some of your restaurants where it's like, you know, maybe college students are kind of taking over the uh, location? No, I think you know, we're a little strategic with our price points. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, let's just, at Pint House, it's six dollars for a for one of those big twenty one ounces of beer. Right. Um, and at Forno, um, you know, it's six dollars for a pint, mm-hmm. just normal pint, sixteen ounces. So, um, ten dollar cocktails at Forno versus nine dollars at Pint House. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I'm not saying the college kids aren't willing to spend the extra dollar. Right. I'm just saying once you get into ten dollar cocktails, you you just suddenly have a little bit of a demographic drop off. Right. Um, and so I, it's not that we're trying to force anybody out. We're just trying to secure those spots for you know the right crowd. Definitely. Yeah, I'm not in college, and I drop off at ten dollar cocktails. So. <laughs> Me too, actually. I think you're, I think you're successful. So with Corso Ventures, kind of the next thing we want to jump into is you've created some really cool events over the years, and can you talk about a few of them and kind of how they evolved? And I'm interested too, like even you talked about the um, Iron Bartender a little bit, like those are really creative ways to think of clever ideas to bring people in, and like not a lot of people can kind of think like that. So how do they come about, and how do you grow them from idea to creation? Yeah, usually it's a team effort, and um, often it's a product of your environment also, so you know, down, I was in the arena district with the Iron Bartender, um, so that just made sense. It was an entertainment district, and um, it was almost like a TV show. When you had, when you, when you came to that event, I actually had a camera guy who was uh, filming the bartenders, and we all had that feed live on all the TVs in the place. So you could just be having a cocktail and still watching the event. Um, it wasn't all about just the bartenders making that cocktail. It was about being part of an event. Um, and then similarly with. Um, the Paint the Pint House event that we developed in uh, April of 2014, um, that was also a product of our environment. We were just now moving into the Short North Arts District. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something with art. Uh, I knew I wanted it to be something that would fit with our brand, um, which is I think is kind of a larger-than-life kind of a brand. <laughs> um, and uh, we had the photo booth at Pint House. Um, and I was also hooked in with the arts community. We had Clint Davidson, who's a very well-known artist all over the city. He's done huge murals that are recognizable from uh, the Franklinton mural when you go to Franklinton, the Old Town East mural that's right outside of uh, Yellow, Yellow Brick Pizza, um, the Standard Hall mural that's the ghosted mm -hmm. sign outside on the brick. He did that too. A lot of recognizable work around town, but he was our in-house chalk artist back then. He would come in and do our chalk for us huge uh, murals and also just writing each beer we had right. <laughs> um, tediously on the board which they change way too often to have a guy like Clinton there you know wasting yeah. his time doing that we do it all in house now but uh, back then you know we just had all these pieces together and you know Clinton and I started talking about what we could do and it was kind of just a collective effort it started with hey let's have art live artists come in hey we have the photo booth let's build you know a four foot by eight foot backdrop for our for our uh for our photo booth that changes every month, keeps everybody um, excited to come back and see what it is, and your pictures look different every month. So it was just fun that, you know, even if you were a regular, it would change all the time. But not only that, it was, uh, you know, we're in the arts district, let's show people how you do art. A lot of people <laughs> don't know anything about art, and I actually remembered, you know, the moment in uh, high school when I had to choose between gym class and art class because all the cuts were being made with extracurriculars. and. You know, I was an athlete, so I chose gym class. And I never had an art class in my life. Um, I've never once been in an art class, and it was a regret of mine. I wanted, to, I wanted to learn more about art. I wanted to be surrounded by it more. A lot of my friends are artists now. Um, so, so that was a huge part of it. We wanted to show people that visit the Short North, um, that hang out in the Short North, that art still happens here. It's not just a few art galleries you walk up and down the road, and there's overpriced art hanging up for sale. Um, it happens here. Right. Um, so, you know, that was a piece a piece of it, but we wanted to also give back to the community by doing art. So I teamed up with um, ARC Ohio, which is now Equitas Health, 
and they do a lot for the arts community. Um, they have the Art for Life event every year, which is huge. They raise a lot of money um, for people with HIV and affected by HIV. And uh, I knew I wanted to do something for art, though, with this money. So all the money that we teamed up with uh, Equitas Health goes to a camp called Camp Sunrise. Mm-hmm. So uh, every year we take all 12 murals from our Paint the Pint House project, which are four foot by eight foot um, custom murals done by local artists, and we donate the whole collection to Equitas Health. Fantastic. And we auction all 12 pieces live at our venues uh, every April, and all the proceeds go to Camp Sunrise, which is a, it's a camp for kids that are affected by HIV, and the money we give them, it buys all their art supplies for the whole year. So basically kids get to do art for the whole year at Camp Sunrise because we have these local artists come in. Um, create pieces live in front of our guests and for the people that come to visit Short North. So pretty cool program. We're doing art, uh, giving it back to do even more art and teaching kids in the meantime. So yeah, that's pretty cool program. That is an amazing program. I love it. Um, I think it's cool how you kind of just incorporate all the parts of the Short North that kind of make it what it is into one big event. And um, I think that's one thing that I'm always impressed about with Corso Ventures and your guys' um, restaurants and bars is that you've kind of set the set the tone almost for the short north yeah over the long run it's kind of i appreciate that <laughs> yeah i mean you know and that's kind of and as it's grown you know i mean what what i guess my question and all that is where do you see the short north going and where do you see corso ventures going well, here's the stay tuned and we'll show you what's about to happen that's right that's hey, not an answer <laughs> <laughs> uh we've got um we've got a few projects in the works right now obviously you know standard hall uh, has been a huge success um I've spent most of my time there in the past few, uh, few months. Well, since July, I've spent a lot of time there uh, making sure that the brand gets built the way that we want it. Um, the customer service is up to a certain level. Um, but we, we blocked up most of that block down there, and um, we're actually currently working on a location um, just a few doors down from Standard Hall. Um, it's going to be a pretty cool, pretty cool concept. I can see some smiles coming from there. We're not going to talk about the concept <laughs> right now. It's not ready, but uh, you know we're doing some research right now um, on a lot of different things, um, traveling a little bit, getting some cool ideas. And you know, I always just want, like I said, I want to blow people's minds with some of the things that we do. I want to make pe- travelers that that come to Columbus um, that over promise or <laughs> that o- under promise over deliver. Um, kind of concept. That's what I'm going for. Some of the out-of-towners, we want them to come to Columbus and not really expect to find places like ours and then just be enthralled with the short north because they exist. Um, so what is some of the research? Like, is that internal or external? Is it more traveling, trying to figure out what people yeah, are doing def- elsewhere? Traveling like? to some of the top restaurant cities in the world. Um, we've been everywhere. I mean, to open up Standard Hall, we went to Nashville, Austin, Texas, Cleveland, Chicago, um, and of course I went to New York City, and uh, we, when we opened up Pint House, of course I went to Belgium and Germany, you know, get ideas of true authentic beer gardens. When we opened up Forno, we went you know, all over the place, um, Chicago, New York City, um, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, we just want to uh, find out if, if, if our ideas are, are in line with you know the rest of the world or at least the rest of the general market that we, that we plan to be in made it back to the days of the expense account though you finally <laughs> like you got yeah, back yeah, started from the bottom now we're here <laughs> exactly so uh you know outside of goals for course adventures what are kind of your personal goals 
here in the future. Um, you know, I, I hate to talk about money when it, when it comes to goals, but it's just a very measurable goal at times, especially for some of my younger managers. And I always tell them, you know, right now, I want to do a couple things. I want to make more money every year. And that's measurable growth for anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to uh, continue to provide opportunities for other people to do the same thing um, in this industry. Right. And uh, you know, that's just perpetual growth right there. And I, I'm basically saying, yes, I want to make more money every year. I want to open more restaurants. I want to, I want to streamline our concepts. Uh, I want to become more efficient as a company. Um, but I also want to continue to grow and I want the people that work hard for us to continue to have opportunities to make more money every year also. Um, so, you know, most of our managers have been promoted from within almost all of them actually. Um, and a a lot of our, uh, hourly staff and tip staff have been with us for years and years and years. So, you know, retaining staff and, and giving them opportunities to continue down this road at the top level of our industry is, you know, that's what I'm looking to do for the, for the next few years. And as you guys can continue to create like this empire, quote unquote, here within Columbus, have you guys ever thought about expanding out to other cities or, and it almost sounds like, I want, I want to say this to see what your perspective on it, but I feel like you guys are doing so well because you've kind of, you're mastering the city and all its different aspects. Mm-hmm. So do you think that you guys would ever think about carrying that outside of the city? Oh yeah, we think about it all the time. We're approached all the time and uh, we have all those conversations. We see every conversation through and um, I think that's just a, a smart way to run any business. I, I'll never shut the door in anyone's face. Um, but uh, also I would say that our company's growth is pretty synonymous with the growth of the short north and Columbus itself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're the, I think we have an advantage being local guys. I mean, you guys are at my house right now. Right. <laughs> um, and I walk down to work most days. My bike is right there. I haven't owned a car here in about three years. Um, so I really enjoy that lifestyle of, you know, hitting the corners of the community that I love. Um, I get to see so many people that I know every day. I'm handing out high fives and yelling across the street. I mean, I love this neighborhood. Um, and I still think there's opportunities, um, you know, for other uh, types, for other concepts to open up. We have a great Mexican place about to open up in this neighborhood right now, um, which after La Fagada closed, you know, that's just a hole in the market. And I think there's a few other holes in the market like that. Um, but also... There is a lot of density here right now, and I'm not sure how often you guys come to this neighborhood, Italian Village, but a lot of new residential projects popping mm-hmm. up. A lot of them have already been completed. I think there was something like 10,000 people that moved to the greater Short North area in the last year, which is just insane. So you know, I, I don't think at this point enough awesome places can open up quick enough. Um, you know, we still have a line um, you know, out the door Friday, Saturday night at Pint House and Standard Hall. And that's not to brag. It's just that I, I know people are looking for places to go and they want to have a good time. And, you know, we're looking to provide those people with what they're looking for. Right. So I guess with the market the way it's growing, I mean, as you guys continue to grow, I mean, as Columbus continues to grow, you know, how do you see uh, the changes affecting not just the your locations, but maybe just the entire city's market? In what respect in the restaurant in respect industry? Of like, I guess in the respect that, um, you know, how are, how do you see places changing? I guess the, the type of uh, restaurants and bars that we're going to see popping up. 
Well, if you just look at where we are, where we are geographically, we're right in the middle of downtown and campus. So that just tells me um, that we have, you know, from a little bit north, we've got this ever-flowing, ever-changing, captive young audience of people that want to come down here and spend their money and go out and check out this new city. Um, so we have to stay up on the trends of what of what this young audience wants. But we also have, you know, downtown is being built up of, you know, a lot of corporate money um, and a lot of Ohio State folks that are graduating are starting to stay in the downtown area more. So and they're they're going to build families down here. Um, the urban lifestyle is really going to come to life in Columbus here in the next few years. So, um, you know, we've got we've got to provide viable options for mm-hmm. both groups. Um, and I think that there's plenty of space to do that. It's just, you know, do you want to push the envelope a little bit like we do? Right. <laughs> um, or do you want to you know be a little more tame, which is fine. There's definitely a market for both. And, mm-hmm. and we're just the guys that, you know, we're, we're a smaller boutique company. So we're willing to push the envelope and, you know, in certain areas that, Others aren't because it's a lot. It's a lot difficult. It's a lot more difficult to control it once you're, once you're getting so big. So, um, the fact that I'm able to walk in at any moment, um, you know, it really keeps our team on their toes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, it keeps our our brands streamlined um, consistently, and that's what we're looking for is a consistency that you know, um, as, as a resident of the Short North, you can bring your friends from out of town to Pine House, and you know what you're gonna get. Um, or you can take them in a foreign and you know that you're going to have a great experience or a fun experience. So from a, like a 10,000 foot view, it almost seems like you're saying like not much is going to change in terms of like drastic turns, but the small things that are going on are just going to be magnified as the population grows and people continue to come into the city. You think? The dust is going to settle eventually is, is kind of mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, right now there's a lot of excitement and activity going on because it's all very brand new. There's a lot of brand new things happening. So, um, you know, are, is every small business that's currently here still going to be open by the time the dust, dust settles? Absolutely not. That's not the way business works. Uh, even the restaurant business, it's a very, very tough business. Not many restaurants make it long term. Um, but I just think that, you know, like I said, if you stay on top of the trends that are happening to keep the younger folks happy, um, and if you keep the consistency there for the folks that are going to settle in, um, I think you'll have success in this industry. So let's wrap from that and kind of close things out with the question you touched on a little bit earlier and just talk about uh, the theme of our podcast is live uncomfortably and like to hear kind of what that means to you. I mean, obviously we talked about the vine picking days, which sound pretty uncomfortable, but... Here we are on my nice leather couch here. (laughs) I don't see any vines around here. Living a life of luxury now, so... No, I I like to... Obviously, I love uh, to be comfortable. Everybody does. Um... But you're right, you, you have to stay out of your comfort zone. And I tell my managers all the time, once you're comfortable, I'm gonna come in and shake it up. You might not be working at this venue anymore. I'm gonna send you up the street and give you a whole new set of challenges. Um, you know, I, I use the, ter- the terminology with my staff all the time. Once it stops being fun, I'm out. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is once new challenges stop arising, <laughs> I'm out. Um, you know, I love the, cha- the day-to-day challenges. And I know I talked about, um, you know, from a, from a global level, looking at my looking at my job from a week to week standpoint, but the day to day grind of um, I don't I hate to call it a grind because it's not, but waking up and going to check out my spots and seeing everybody in the neighborhood, um, the hustle and bustle of happy hour, uh, and then you get you get the dinner service where everyone's blood's pumping, everyone's having a great time. I just love 
um, every aspect of this business. Uh, from the moment where it's just me and the cleaner and I'm doing a building inspection uh, to the moments where I get back from vacation and all three of my joints are packed completely out and everyone in Columbus seems to be having a, a great time in there. Um, I love it from the top to the bottom. So, um, Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up here. Reed, unless you have any final thoughts for our listeners or any words of advice? No, I mean, uh, I assume that most people are listening to your podcast because they care about Columbus business and they, they like to get to know the entrepreneurs that live here. So if you come into our locations and you happen to see me, please come up and say hello. I'd love to meet you and hear any suggestions you might have um, about how we can make our places better or more fun for you. Definitely. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show today, Reed. I think we had a good time. I think it'll make a great episode. Appreciate it, guys. And, Thank and, you. Um, and stop ripping those damn urinals off the wall. Yeah, stop <laughs> ripping the urinals. All right, Conkers, that's the end of the show today. We just want to thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed our time with Reed. If you enjoyed that episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Rate us on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, follow us on all our social media. That'll make sure you never miss an episode. Before we let you go, though, we want to give one last shout-out to all of our amazing sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH and all the cool things they do, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. We'd also like to give a big shout-out to our friends over at MakeShark. MakeShark is a friendly, experienced, and local team of web design and SEO professionals that will help you get better design, functionality, and ROI from your websites at a really low cost. If you want to learn more about MakeShark, check out MakeShark.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, that's the end of today's episode. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.